Hello, and welcome to Healthcare Super Teams. I'm Haru Okuda. What is a super team? One definition might be a group of highly motivated, often highly skilled people working together towards a single goal and achieving it. Think the 27 Yankees or Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls. Maybe the people who built Microsoft or Apple, or perhaps Washington's first cabinet with Jefferson and Hamilton among its members. But how did these extraordinary groups come together? Is it luck or can a super team be designed? Can one be strategically assembled? And how do super teams relate to healthcare? We'll look for answers on this edition of Healthcare Super Teams. Hello, and welcome back to Healthcare Super Teams. I'm Haru Okuda. In our prior series on Healthcare Super Teams, I spoke with experts in the science of teamwork, the CEO of the Nestle Corporation, the founding fellow of the New World Symphony, the mayor of Tampa, and even a lead NASA scientist who specializes in creating teams for space travel in order to learn how extraordinary groups come together to create super teams. One common theme that all of our guests have spoken on is how effective teamwork and communication is critical to the success of high-functioning organizations. In this coming series, we examine healthcare super teams more closely but through the lens of individuals, specifically individuals from diverse backgrounds in race, gender identity, and culture. We will examine the impact of racism and bias within healthcare and its effect on individuals as well as on teams. Today, our guest is Dr. Tricia Pennycook, Vice Dean for Education and Faculty Affairs at the University of South Florida College of Public Health to help provide more context around our new series on racism and bias in healthcare. Dr. Pennycook has over 24 years of experience as a physician, educator, and public health administrator. As an educator, she is committed to the development of health professions and aims to leverage her own experience to provide guidance and modeled behavior for those in her charge. She believes that it is the responsibility of public health academia to create, educate, and support leaders of different passions, interests, and experiences. Leaders who will understand and embrace their responsibility in achieving health equity through practice, research, advocacy, and policy development. She became the first Afro-Latina Dean of the School of Public Health at Loma Linda University, leading the school to be among the first to adopt the new framework for public health education with emphasis on health equity, a global presence, and a faith-based foundation. She also served as Vice President of Academic Administration at Oakwood University and HBCU in Alabama. Dr. Pennycook, welcome to Healthcare Super Teams. Thank you, Dr. Okuda. So uh, first, since we are talking about race, identity, and bias, and, and because we're on a podcast where people can't see us, uh, could you tell us about your background and how you identify yourself? Of course. So I was born in Costa Rica, country in Central America. Uh, my parents were born in the Caribbean part of Costa Rica. So our grandparents came from Jamaica. Mm. So I grew up speaking both English and Spanish and consider myself Afro-Latina, like I said before. 
Very, very mm-hmm. cool. I, I've I've heard so many beautiful things about Costa Rica. One of these days, I will go. You have to go. I know. I, I know there have been some beautiful films. Yes. Done there, right? Yes. Um, so thank you um, for providing that background. And and I guess for the listeners, I I should probably sort of introduce my yes. uh, my identity and background as well. So um, I was born in Japan. I came to the U.S. when I was pretty young, about five years old. And so I, I guess I consider myself Asian American. Uh, Japanese American, um, and uh, I think those are the, the categories, and, and male. Yes. Right? <laughs> um, so uh, my hope is that through the stories and experiences of individuals in healthcare from diverse interprofessional backgrounds, we will be able to be inspired, learn from, and understand the value of having diversity within healthcare teams. Uh, Dr. Penny Cook, you work very closely with future aspiring healthcare professionals at USF, teaching and mentoring them. Could you start um, by telling us how racism and bias impact students going into the health professions? Thank you so much for that question. I believe that there are at least two or three ways in which racism, um, and specifically structural systemic racism, have an impact on the education of future health professionals, not only those from diverse backgrounds, but any Mm -hmm. um, student in a health profession. Number one, we um, in healthcare, physicians principally, Mm -hmm. when a patient walks in the room, we already start ruling out things that they could have just based on them walking in. Mm -hmm. So if in education, students associate certain races or ethnicities only with their vulnerabilities, Mm and only see their weaknesses and what they are most um, likely to have as diseases but not take into account their assets, their strengths, then they will tend to start categorizing their patients as they walk in without taking time to listen to the entire story. Mm. And what that can do is then they can miss diagnoses. And Mm. these are things that have happened to me. So When we think about this, it's not only about what we would tend to say if a a patient isn't well-educated, isn't Mm -hmm. able to communicate with Mm -hmm. the healthcare team, then that is what will cause, um, you know, misdiagnosis. You can be well-educated, be in the field, communicate well, and still, if the students do not have that ability to have an open mind and see every patient as an individual mm-hmm. and not categorize them as their race, mm-hmm. then they will misdiagnose. So that's one aspect. Mm-hmm. Another aspect is those students from diverse populations themselves who now feel that they represent or they may feel the responsibility to represent not only themselves but the entire race or ethnicity comes with them in Mm -hmm. the room, and they are somehow taken as translators. So they will be asked Mm -hmm. to explain or to to the patient or to the healthcare team cultural aspects that they don't necessarily know just because they're of a certain race or ethnicity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that can make them feel either uncomfortable or too responsible. Mm. And that is an extra burden on their learning and mm-hmm. then their mm-hmm. capacity to be able to treat their patients well. So those are probably two of the ways in which racism can have an impact on the education of healthcare professionals. That's, that's really interesting. So from an educational standpoint, 
there's both the content piece. So mm-hmm. it's you know just the the way that you look at a a, a patient, um, you know, trying to give them all of the broad things that come with a broad differential as opposed to narrowing it yes. uh, too early based on appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there there's that piece, but there's also what you're talking about, which is um, sort of the, the burden um, and assumptions really put on individuals and the students themselves because yes. of their appearance and assumptions about what they know about the, the people that may look like them as mm-hmm. patients. And there's a little added pressure there. Yes. I'm, cu- I'm curious on the second part, if we can just explore a little bit on what what sort of personal impact does that have on that individual? Um, it, because that, that is a lot of responsibility and whether you feel up to it or or just inappropriately placed in that situation, um, and, and as you alluded to, it impacts their, their training education experience, but what, what you know, what other types of impact does that have on that student? So what we have seen and heard, especially recently, um, because of what we've seen in COVID and the disproportionate way it has affected communities of color, mm-hmm. there has been more of an opportunity for especially physicians in training, which is who I've listened to most, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, to be able to speak up a little bit more about what they face in their academic journey. And for example, the ability to advocate for their patients Mm -hmm. when they believe that the healthcare team is not taking that broad, respectful view Mm -hmm. of the patient as an individual. And the patients may be called by a number or a disease or um, their pain level be dismissed Mm -hmm. because of you know, concepts that black people feel less pain or Mm. things like that, that they feel a responsibility to advocate for the patients because at the end of the day, that's why they came into the health field. They want to serve people. They want to help them. So when they see these things happening at the bedside, and I'll talk about the community a little bit um, too because of the public health professionals, when they see these things happening at the bedside, they don't know what to do. Hmm. Because do you speak up mm-hmm. and advocate for the patient and say, wait a minute, you know, there's some things that you may be missing or do right. not be disrespectful, but they're a student. Right. And sure. the person person that is being disrespectful could be the person at the top of mm. the totem pole. Sure. So do they speak up and advocate for their patient mm-hmm. or they stay quiet so that they're not seen as conflictive, mm. confrontational, bitter, angry? And if you um, look at the intersection between race and gender, especially black women who can be categorized when they speak up as angry black women, Mm. then not to seem like you're not part of the team, that that dissonance between your desire to advocate for your patient but Mm self-preservation to be able to finish your degree and then serve the community, that is very difficult. And if they do not have someone they can talk to, they don't know where to go, then it's basically swallowed up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I imagine that that could have a pretty significant just sort of personal impact. If you're you're the one that's sort of just holding it in every single time and you continue to see this time and time again, not only does it impact your education, but probably impacts your just sort of individual self of right, you know, sense of right and wrong. Absolutely. And you know that any health profession is a difficult thing to go through 
because we are not prepared for the emotional, psychological sure. impact of taking care of people every day. Mm-hmm. So we already have that. And we have so many in our field that are self-medicating and engaging in risky behaviors mm-hmm. just because they don't know how to cope. And we don't necessarily teach how to cope in school. Right, right. You know, you're telling people that they're going to die. You're telling mm-hmm. family members that they're not going to make it. They're, you know, And you're not, you know the content, but you haven't been prepared for the toll that it takes. Right. So add that onto this, and then, you know, you have a recipe for burnout, Mm -hmm. for mental health issues. Um, So, you know, I'm just kind of thinking through. I mean, this is just at the student level, and I imagine this you know, not just for physicians, but all probably impacts, uh, likely impacts all healthcare professions. Yes. And, um, you know, whether nursing, athletic training, and others. I mean, we 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 like to talk about the interprofessional yes. component of this. Um, do, do you have any experience, or you know, have have heard from folks that are actually in the clinical practice setting now, sort of shifting to that, mm-hmm. you know, these healthcare teams, um, COVID's been, you know, obviously had a, had a, a significant impact in patients, but also on, on healthcare providers and teams. And um, so do you have any thoughts there? Like, what are the impacts of, um, you know, systemic racism and bias for healthcare professionals that are practicing every day? That is a interesting question because I don't think there is one way of expressing the impact. It depends Mm. on who you're talking about. And it depends on the persons, the individuals, not only culture and upbringing, but even their network. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it also depends on their perception of how much power and control they Mm -hmm. have over their circumstances and their ability to do their job. Mm -hmm. So for those who have traditionally been um, mainstream, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better Mm -hmm. term, what has happened with COVID has brought an awareness that can be very painful Mm -hmm. um, when you start thinking about who you thought you were Mm -hmm. and how things that you have taken for granted others have to struggle so much to get. Right. And having all of these different issues come to the fore at the same time. So we have the pandemic, Mm -hmm. any pandemic, you know, with loss of life and and way of living. And then you have the effects of the pandemic on minority populations. Mm everything from the ability to have access to healthcare when you are told if you feel sick, don't go to the emergency room, go to your primary care provider, and most won't necessarily have a primary care Mm -hmm. provider. So by the time they get to the emergency room, it's because they have not gone. Right. So as part of the healthcare team, you are seeing more and more people come at a later stage, Mm -hmm. and the toll that that has on your ability to heal and rescue, and wondering why didn't they come before, right? Right. Um, And then seeing your peers and colleagues living this experience from their diverse background Mm -hmm. 
and trying to find a way to be helpful and supportive of them. And in some cases, feeling that nothing you can say is adequate. You don't want to say the wrong thing. Mm. You don't, you know, you don't want to assume anything. You don't know how what you say will be received. There's a lot of tension where maybe there hadn't been any tension before. So the team itself is now in a place where you should be united because you have a common enemy, Mm -hmm. the virus. But within the team, now there's differences that weren't highlighted before. Yeah, yeah. That's, That's a really interesting point that you raise. I mean, as a... As an emergency physician myself over the last 20 years, um, you know, and, and I, I am as guilty as, as I think everybody in biases that, you know, patients that come in the door. And I think, you know, a good point that you raised just now is, you know, we have many uh, individuals from diverse backgrounds that don't have access to care mm-hmm. and they don't have primary care doctors. And, um, and yet, you know, during COVID, a lot of the direction from organizations was like, well, don't go to the ER because you're going to overwhelm them. If you just have a cough and fever, go see your primary care doctor. And so, mm-hmm. like you said, you know, these patients are trying to do the right thing. They wait and wait. And then by the time they presented to the emergency department, it was near near you know death or near mm-hmm. too late. In many cases, they were. And then there's judgment, right? Yes. And the judgment comes from different cultures, different backgrounds, different perspectives, um, where the you know the, the framework might be, well, why didn't they go to the primary care doctor? Yes. Well, maybe they you know can't get access to buses that aren't running during COVID and other things yes. that that are really not um, thought about by by many. And so, um, you know, it, it is really um, uh, interesting how pervasive this this you know the issue around racism yes. or bias un- unconscious bias yes. right um, impacts our day-to-day uh, patient care it's mm-hmm. it's really um, it's it is really um, something you know critical that I think we need to continue to talk about if uh, I may to please just, just briefly from the public health perspective mm-hmm. and the education of the community, to make sure that they're taking the steps necessary. I'm going to speak specifically about the pandemic Mm -hmm. to make sure that they get to care on time. When the message includes things that aren't applicable to every race, Mm -hmm. there's even more confusion. Mm. So if you're saying things like, if you have blue lips, Hmm. go to the emergency room. And there are certain people whose lips will never be blue. Right, right. So when you are sending, you know, when you're speaking mm-hmm. with church groups and communities mm-hmm. of color and saying these are the things, go to the CDC page and look at mm-hmm. the symptoms and they're not necessarily applicable to you, then you need to break things down a little bit more to say, if you see this, this, and this, don't wait till your lips get blue. Right. Go right away. Right. And when you get there, advocate for yourself. Right. Don't play strong. Don't say you don't have anything. Speak up. If you can't mm-hmm. breathe, say you can't breathe because right. all of that cultural component of I'm fine, I'll be good, yeah. take care of my whoever first, right. you know, all of that mm-hmm. comes into play. So public health professionals as part of the health team, and yeah. that is so important because we don't necessarily see them as part of the immediate health team, mm-hmm. but what mm-hmm. they're doing before the patient hits the hospital door, 
is as important as what happens once the patient gets there. Yeah, yeah, that for sure. It's the communication, the mm -hmm. messaging, the science, all of that. Yes. And, and so just in this brief, you know, uh, conversation, we've identified multiple areas where race, racism and, and bias, um, again, I, I think for many, it's just, it's, it's it's unconscious, yes. you know, and um, but it has such a a, a a strong impact in patient care, teamwork, um, education, like yes. we mentioned. So, um, you know, we've learned about some of these critical challenges facing our future professionals and current impacted by racism and bias. Um, and I'm sure uh, as these issues continue throughout, you know, their practice. Um, are there some ways that you've seen um, that, that can positively impact either learning or work situations for individuals um, from diverse backgrounds? Like how, you know, these are the, some of the gaps or, and challenges that we need to overcome. Have you seen things that um, can actually make a positive impact? And, and, and I think you mentioned, alluded to this, this idea around, you know, positions of power and, and authority. You know, how can individuals in power positions make a difference or an impact in this area? That is so important because the advocacy needs to be upfront mm -hmm. and very evident. It's not enough to support in the background, to wait till the um, visit is over and pull someone to the side and say, I understand mm -hmm. what you're going through and that wasn't okay. Right. There comes a point where those who have a certain degree of power, which comes with their voice being listened to. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily positional power. Mm. It's just if your voice will be listened to because of who you are, how you look, mm -hmm. how you are perceived, that's power. Mm. So there comes a point where those who have the voice need to speak up at the moment mm -hmm. and become allies and even accomplices. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that means that you actively speak up, confront, and say that is not okay. Mm -hmm. So if we're using the example that we used before of a patient that's been, that's been treated in a less than ideal way because of their background. Mm -hmm. um, and to say this, sometimes the bias may be unconscious on the part of the healthcare team but it feels very conscious to the patient. For sure. Right? For they sure. don't, they, they feel it. Yeah, absolutely. So using that same example, a peer, someone who has advanced more in their journey, mm -hmm. even if it's a junior resident, an assistant, mm -hmm. um, doesn't necessarily have to be the main attending head of mm -hmm. the team, but anyone who has a voice that will be listened to needs to be very upfront and say, should we look at this another way? Mm. Is there a better way? Have we looked at every option? Are we um, unconsciously narrowing mm. our our vision because we think should it? I talked to this patient and I found so and so. Right. So that it doesn't necessarily come in defense of the peer or the colleague, but in defense of the patient. Right. And since we all care about the patient, mm -hmm. then that that makes it easier for that conversation to happen. And there's not that much of a defensive mechanism. Why are you trying to defend the mm -hmm. student? The person you're taking care of is actually the patient. Right. And that takes that burden off the student who has seen what is happening. You don't have to wait for someone to tell you. Mm -hmm. 
you can see it be, you know, now that we know, right, right. see it like what they see. If you see something, say something. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that, that I think, um, you know, we, we always bring it back to the patient. I mean, that's why we're all in public health and in medicine and mm-hmm. nursing. We, we, we do this and um, for the better of the patient. And um, I, and I, I wonder, you know, I, I think about that situation that you mentioned. I think in your example, you sort of do it in a more subtle way so yeah. that it kind of takes the, 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 the spotlight off of the the student. Mm-hmm. Um, it allows us uh, allows the team to at least you know maybe think about it themselves. Say, oh, maybe I rush to judgment based yes. off of appearance. Um, but I, I imagine there are situations where you actually just call out the situation. And and my guess is it's going to be based on um, you know case by case, based on yes. the team and the 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 willingness and the and to to sort of really think about that and, and where they are on their journey um, in, in, in around, you know, culture and diversity. And, and so um, it's really interesting to reflect on personally, yes. um, but, you know, hopefully others will do as well. Um, my final sort of thought or question is, you know, and I, you alluded to this in the beginning, I think you had some great examples, but, you know, I just wanted to bring it back to the patient. Yes. Um, you know, I in our last series we talked about looking for um, best practices in teamwork, team behaviors in organizations outside of healthcare. And um, in one interview, the one of the the last interviews I did, I interviewed um, uh, Mayor Jane Castor of Tampa. Um, she um, uh, talked about you know, because she is very known for having these incredible diverse teams. She's very um, 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 supportive of women in leadership positions, and she named multiple my 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 former bosses on her team, and so uh, Carol Post, and so um, um, I, I see that, and um, and I asked her the question about the importance of having diverse um, diversity on her teams, and why is that important? And I think. You know, she she brought up a lot of interesting points around different perspectives, and um, you know, having a voice to that um, that that group, um, and having a connection, right? So a link from the government office, or when she was police chief, from the police chief's office, it's good to have folks that understand at least general aspects of culture or background or gender identity um, to be able to, to communicate with those groups so that there's much more of the commonality. So I'm curious um, what your thoughts are on the importance of having diverse healthcare teams, yes. right? So that not, not everybody on the team is from one background, but you know, having that true reflection of their patient population on their healthcare team. Like, how does that, how does that, you know, impact patient care? Like, why is it important? Why do we want to be at that place where we have, uh, you know, everyone has cultural humility and that we have true diversity throughout our teams? Um, and even when groups aren't represented, we really think, you know, try to think in, in terms of, well, you know, let's be open and, you um, and, and, and not judge to, you know, stereotypes, et cetera. So could you talk about that? The first thing that comes to mind is being in an airport hmm. and going to a place that you haven't been before mm-hmm. that doesn't speak your language. Hmm. 
and suddenly hearing your mother tongue. That immediately makes you turn around mm. and connect. Mm -hmm. And it puts you at ease mm -hmm. because someone speaks your language. Right. So looking at it from the patient's perspective, mm -hmm. you're going in your most vulnerable time sure. to an unknown place where nobody speaks your language. Mm -hmm. you, they don't understand you. You don't understand them. You can be speaking English. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you understand each other. So having someone on the team is like listening to your mother mm -hmm. tongue in an unknown place. No matter who the member of the team is, right. if there's someone on the team that you connect with, mm -hmm. then the patient now has someone who understands their language and someone who they will understand, mm -hmm. even if we all speak English. So at the end of the day, what we want in health is to provide opportunities for people to be healthy. Mm -hmm. We don't want to see them sick. Right. No matter the model, we don't want to see them sick. And having diversity in the health team makes that connection happen, whether it be the nurse, mm -hmm. the respiratory therapist, the main physician, uh, medical student, whoever. Right. Even the custodial staff. Yeah. Um having that person that you connect with uh, that immediately lowers your your level of stress and broadens your ability to understand and then be compliant with mm -hmm. what they've been asked to do. That's one reason. Mm -hmm. There's another very specific reason that has nothing to do with warm and fuzzies because what I just said may seem like, you know, that's nice, warm right. and fuzzy. At the end of the day, you just do what I said, mm -hmm. right? Um if you are a pediatrician and you're having to evaluate a child that is younger than two years old, and how do you evaluate development? Whether you're in the office, the clinic, or the emergency mm -hmm. room. Basically language. Do you understand the series of orders? If I say to you, you know, put your hand on your head, spin mm -hmm. two times, put this block on top of the other. If there is no understanding, you cannot really evaluate mm -hmm. the child's development because the fact that they don't understand you right. doesn't mean they can't fulfill those tasks. Yeah. So immediately, your ability to know how to help this patient, mm -hmm. you don't really know where the patient is just because they don't understand your language. Right. So your ability to, to be able to diagnose and treat, no matter who you are mm -hmm. in the health team. If there's a lack of understanding, your ability to do your job, now I'm not talking about the patient's mm -hmm. ability to do what you say, but your ability to be able to diagnose and plan mm -hmm. and then treat is restricted because you don't understand what the patient is saying. Right, right. Now that, that makes total sense. and. Um, you know, the, the first example that you mentioned, which, you know, on the surface may seem sort of warm and fuzzy, mm -hmm. but there is um, literature to back that up. And I think, you know, there are studies, I, I mentioned this in our, our, our last series, where um, I think this study was done on, I don't remember if it was specifically black males, but they interviewed folks in a clinic, and then it was the compliance piece, yes. right? So when the physician looked like them, 
they were much more willing to maybe stop smoking mm -hmm. or to be more compliant with their diabetes medicine mm -hmm. versus when you know they could be as empathetic as you want them to be, but if they didn't look like them, it would be less in terms of compliance, et cetera. And then if you think about that from impacts around you know, chronic care management, and then it even goes to the cost of healthcare in the United States, mm -hmm. that is a tremendous impact um, that, you know, again, it's just having somebody that looks like them, the, mm -hmm. the, the familiar voice in an airport, which I, I completely uh, empathize, or <laughs> I, I, I definitely get because I've, I, I do enjoy traveling. And when I hear English or Japanese, I, yes. I was like, oh, it's so familiar when yes. I can't understand the language. And you feel this sort of sense of relief mm -hmm. when when you do um, hear that. Um, so the last question sort of following up to this, because, you know, we're talking right now as far as patients go, I, I, I'm convinced. I mean, I think it makes sense. But people can argue, well, if you have so much diversity on a team, mm -hmm. it might make the team interactions more difficult, right? Because the last series we talked about you know, high-performing teams, super teams, you know, you kind of have to be able to anticipate each other, understand each other. Um, but now if you're, if you have, let's say, five or six-member teams representing different professions, so you might have, you know, a pharmacist, a nurse, a physician, um, you know, respiratory therapists, and then if each of them are from different backgrounds and identities mm -hmm. and all the misunderstandings that could come from that, would, you know, some might argue, doesn't that make it, you know, a very difficult team um, to, you know, to cooperate and deliver healthcare? So I'm, I'm curious your thoughts there. That's a really good question, and I think that we may not have a lot of. I haven't researched, so I don't know if we have a lot of literature on this specific mm -hmm. subject. But if we don't, it could be because we do not have too many of these teams that are mm -hmm. that diverse in nature. Right. Right. So when you look at the percentage of black males in medicine, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's really insignificant mm -hmm. um, as opposed to black males in the school-to-prison pipeline. Mm -hmm. And it's not that there's less intellectual capacity because right. running a criminal empire takes brains. Mm -hmm, for sure. So it's, it's a matter of opportunities. It's not necessarily a matter of choices because mm -hmm. you can't make a choice you don't have. Mm -hmm. And we lay a lot of the responsibility on the person, on the individual, mm -hmm. and resist the responsibility of the system and the structure. Sure. So um, at the end of the day, we're all people. Mm -hmm. And if we... In order to make the team work, it is the responsibility of the leader of the team to create the culture, the environment, the ambience, the opportunities, so that every trait of every team member contributes to the outcome mm -hmm. and to the success. So whether it be people from different professions people from different backgrounds, mm -hmm. ethnic backgrounds, people with different, it's the, the team leader's responsibility to make sure that every team member understands each other and understands their role. And that will only make it stronger. 
If yeah. the team leader sees that as their responsibility, that will only make the team stronger. So I don't believe that at the end of the day that will create um, negative outcomes. I believe that the more rich experiences people bring to any team, the mm-hmm. more successful that team is because they may have insight that nobody else has that is the specific thing you needed to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I I I I agree. I mean I think I think that was, you know, the the mayor's point as well, mm-hmm. right? You bring a specific insight that nobody else would have had. Yes. Um Maybe it's a, a nice research project for your students in yeah. your College of Public Health, right, yes. to, to look into that. But, yeah. uh, but I agree. I mean, if you think about, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's the culture of an organization. And oftentimes um, the leader sets the tone of the culture. Yes. Um, but, you know, I, I think it, it kind of can go at both ways, right? We need le- great leadership, but we also need good um, advocates with very strong, you know, morals and principles yes. at the at the the sharp end, at the folks that are actually, you know, doing the jobs every day um, mm-hmm. to to make change. Um, well, Dr. Penny Cook, thank you so much for having this great discussion with us, and I hope to see you again soon on uh, on our podcast. Thank you for the invitation. I enjoyed it. Our guest has been Dr. Tricia Penny Cook. Vice Dean for Education and Faculty Affairs at the University of South Florida College of Public Health. If you'd like to learn more about USF College of Public Health, please visit their website at health.usf.edu backslash public health. Join us next time as we begin our new series focused on the impacts of racism and bias in healthcare. If there's a particular topic you'd like to hear more about here on Healthcare Super Teams, let us know. Our email is ipep at usf.edu, ipep at usf.edu. Until next time, I'm Haru Okuda. Thank you for joining us on Healthcare Super Teams.